This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Two weeks ago, we began a new study called Finding God in Unexpected Places. It is inspired by the book by Krish Kandaya, God is Stranger. And two weeks ago, we heard that God comes unannounced, uninvited, and unrecognized. But still, God comes. So our reading today comes from Genesis 18, It's found on page 13 of your Pew Bible. We'll be beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him, standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them, and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready, quickly, three measures of choice flour. Knead it, make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, to him Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, there, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. Let us pray. Living God, you say that your word goes forth from your mouth and does not return to you empty. So we pray that it may accomplish that which you purpose and succeed in the thing for which you sent it. This is our prayer, O Lord. Amen. Sometimes we know well-known people, but we may not recognize them. 
Some of you know that in the news, King Abdullah of Jordan is waiting for the U.S. administration's peace plan for the Middle East. Now, what we may not know is that King Abdullah, early in his administration, frequently disguised himself in order to go and mingle among the population. He put on a fake beard and his headdress and his white Arab dress and went into a hospital and began fraternizing and talking in order to get to know the people and the issues on their mind. He also got behind a taxi cab wheel and drove all around town in order to get to know the city and its people. He even posed as a television reporter covering a story on a duty-free shop. Now, catching on to this behavior, the employees of the Jordanian government realized that they were going to have to pay closer attention to people's faces. Because on any day, is it possible that God comes to us and yet we may not recognize him? What we will hear in this scripture of Genesis 18 and Matthew 25 is that God comes with a plan to a man named Abram, later Abraham. God comes with a promise to a woman named Sarah. And God comes unrecognized to us today. First, God comes with a plan to a man named Abram. We hear it first in Genesis 23. We didn't, uh, 12, verses 1 through 3. We didn't read this. But in Genesis 12, this is the beginning of the covetous. But in Genesis 12, this is the beginning of the covenant for the people of Israel and for the world. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what is the plan? God's plan is to undo the curse and the consequences that came through sin. Last week we heard Genesis 3 and how this happened. So God plans to undo the curse with a blessing. He begins, begins with a 75-year-old man named Abram. He tells him to leave his country and his family, that is, leave his identity and his sense of security and go to the place where God would show him. His obedience will yield great dividends. All the families of the earth will be blessed. What a wonderful plan! It sounds like Campus Crusades ministry, now called Crew. The four spiritual laws, the first spiritual law is this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But 
God's plan comes through unrecognizable circumstances. Genesis 11 gives us the backstory. It was Abram's brother who died, this nephew Lot, and says, let's move from where we are in Ur, which is modern-day Iraq, and go all the way to Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And yet, that's the goal, but they don't reach it. They stop somewhere in what is modern-day Turkey called Haran. Maybe you have a similar story. You had a goal going there, and you just don't quite get it. And so you stop and you settle. The word of the Lord in Genesis 12 comes where Abram has settled. He tells Abram to leave his country and his family and go to the place the Lord would show him. And Abram obeys, almost. He takes his nephew Lot with him. They arrive in Canaan, almost. He takes his nephew Lot with him. They arrive in Canaan, and wouldn't you know, Lot, the younger, chooses the greenest, most fertile land for himself, leaving the scrubby, dusty, hilly land for his uncle, Abram. Abram, we find standing, looking at this land that he is supposed to inherit that looks rather arid. And in Genesis 15, the Lord appears. Genesis 13. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Time passes. Nephew gets in trouble. Gets in trouble and Sodom is taken by other kings and now the family is off in captivity. So Abram musters his men, goes into battle. Imagined he would be facing this. Then in chapter 15, the Lord appears again. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward is very great. Look to the heavens. Count the stars if you are able. So shall the number of your descendants be. It says that Abram believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it as righteousness. He changes Abram's name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of multitudes. Now, more years pass. Many, many more years. Abraham is now 99 years old. His son is the offspring of his wife's slave, Hagar. Hagar and Abram's wife, Sarah, are in constant conflict. You could cut the air with a knife if you just wanted to feel the tension in the house. Now, God pronounced a plan, a wonderful plan, years ago. And what has happened? Abram is still a sojourner in a foreign land, his only offspring is the son of his wife's slave. What happened to this wonderful plan? Three years ago, Christianity Today magazine had an article by Leslie Field entitled, God has a confusing plan for your life. 
She writes, I am on the brink of major life changes. Some prayed for a few drastic and unwelcome. I find myself stumbling, fear for a few drastic and unwelcome. I find myself stumbling, fearful, uncertain of these new snaking roads and unsure of God's place in it all. Then I feel guilty. Where is my faith? Do you know this feeling? Do you wonder how your life fits into the GPS of God's plan and what you are to do next? Abram is squarely on the map of God. And you are too. Your life is right on schedule with God leading you. Then God comes, Genesis 18, unrecognized to Abram. He appears as three men standing near him. We are told by the writer that it is the Lord. We read Genesis 18 and 19. We hear repeatedly, it is the Lord. And then we find that there are two men who go on to Sodom to rescue Lot from pending danger. They are angels. This third person, the Lord, aren't we told repeatedly in Scripture, you cannot look on the Lord and live, his glory would consume? Who is deity in human form? Is it the pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. In Genesis 32, we find Jacob wrestling all night long with deity in human form. In Daniel 3, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in human form. In Daniel 3, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace, and there in the furnace appears a fourth that looks like a god. The Lord comes in human form, disguised as a needy traveler, and he comes with a plan to Abraham to bless him that all the earth may be blessed. So what does do does Abraham do with these unrecognized guests? He shows immediate compassion. In the desert, you must have food and water and rest, and he gives them. He shows humility. He runs to them, which is against the social code of someone who is well-to-do. He bows down to them, thinking not of his status, but of elevating theirs. He gives extravagantly his best, the same kind of sacrificial generosity that we see Jesus giving. In Lawrence, there is the Lazarus House. It was started a few years ago with a concept of meeting needs for the people in the surrounding area, the poor, the homeless. They are just now looking for a new director. Bridget Shaheen, who's been there from the beginning, has made it into one of the area's most giving and holistic ministries for the poor. When I was touring with the Furnos, I heard from 
Bridget Shaheen, that the main thing that they give is dignity. They give dignity along with food and clothing to Abram with a plan to bless. And God comes with a promise to a woman named Sarah. Now we're reminded that they're very old, very, very, very old, way past the ability to have children. I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. News reporters swarmed to the home of a 68-year-old who, through medical science, conceived and gave birth to a little boy. They asked if they could see the baby, and she said, not yet. So they talked to her about her experience, what her hopes were, how she came to the decision. They asked, can we see him now? Not yet. Okay, so they asked a few more, took some more notes, and then asked, so when can we see him? And she said, when he cries. I forgot where I put him. So when can we see him? And she said, when he cries. I forgot where I put him. <laughs> Mysteriously, one of the visitors declares that in due season, which is a euphemism for nine months, God would give Sarah a boy. She would give birth to a son. Now, who is this person who is making this kind of promise? It is the Lord. He speaks, but Sarah laughs. Maybe she laughs because of all the pent-up bitterness that she has. She's waited her whole life, month after month, that turned into years, that then became decades. And yet there was no Lord speaks, but Sarah laughs. How many of us do the same? Our lives are stuck in some sort of waiting room. Our prayers pile up like unopened mail. We are beyond waiting. We've given up. Then we hear the Lord and we laugh. Verse 14. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Too wonderful, too difficult, anything beyond his power? You see, God breaks into human history with divine possibility. Mark 10, verse 27, Jesus said, For mortals this is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Do you believe this? What in your life is unfulfilled? Your families. Jim and I are raising our five-year-old grandson. Grandparents do not get to raise their grandchildren unless there's trouble in the family. There are believers whose spouses are unbelievers or a sibling. There are parents with sons or daughters who do not know the Lord, and some bring untold grief and trouble upon themselves and their families. But we hear the question given to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord. John 14, verse 13 and 14, Jesus reminds us to ask for anything in his name and he will do it. 
in his name, in his character, in his will, what he wants, ask it. He will do it. So God comes unrecognized with a promise. Ask it. He will do it. So God comes unrecognized with a promise to a woman named Sarah, and God comes to you. He speaks. Do you laugh or do you receive what he will fulfill in his perfect time? Finally, God comes to us unrecognized today. It is the concluding story in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31. It is not a parable. It is a stylized story of a real and future event. It's the last judgment of the world. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. Those of you who have traveled in Europe, think of the throne that is seated. He is king over all and judge over all. Did you hear the all? All the angels will be with him. We know from Revelation, there are, you can't even count them. And all the nations will be before him. And then he will begin to separate, as a shepherd, the sheep from the goats. Now, on what basis are they separated? On the same basis as all judgments. On the basis of evidence. Verse 34. Come, you that are blessed by my, by my Father. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Listen to their surprise. What? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? Jesus says, in all truth, I tell you, when you did it to even one of the least significant of these, my brothers and sisters, you actually did it to me. The righteous do not even recognize it was Jesus. They were doing all along what they believed God would have them do, what their Lord Jesus ministered to on earth. Blaise Pascal famously said in his Penzies, quote, the elect will be ignorant of their virtues and the outcast of the greatness of their sins. God comes to us unrecognized today, greatness of their sins. God comes to us unrecognized today. Carl Henry, a commentator, says, Christ is more among us than we think. Do you remember last week we were in Genesis 3 and God was calling out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Here I am, hiding. I'm afraid of you. We call out to God, thinking he's hiding. Where are you? Here I am, in the least of these. It was Richard Stern, who was the president of Linux Corporation, who Linux is the one that makes the finest luxury 
tableware. He traveled all over the world, first class in the best hotels. He sold luxury, asking if he would consider being the new president. He begged God to please send someone else. He was a Bible believer, reader. He went to church. He gave his tithe. He did not want to be the president of World Vision. The predecessor, Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, once prayed, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Rich Stern writes, but who really wants his heart broken? Don't we pray that God will not break our hearts? But Stern looked at Jesus, who served the least of these with compassion, humility, extravagant grace, the same as Abraham serving the three visitors. And he said yes. He wrote the book, The Hole in Our Gospel, because he found that his gospel, the gospel of faith in Christ, is got a hole in it. He says this, it's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. Let me repeat that. It's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. That's the definition of belief. It's everything. Christ becomes Lord of all. God comes unrecognized to us today, but one day he will clearly sitting on the throne in his glory. He gives us access now to himself through every needy person. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God came unrecognized with a plan to Abraham, unrecognized because of the circumstances. He came with a promise to Sarah, unrecognized because of delayed fulfillment. And he comes in his presence to us today, but in disguise. What do you believe? Is it enough to do it? Let us pray. Lord, in the moments of silence, we ask that you would speak the word that we need to hear from speak the word that we need to hear from you. Whether it's being located in your GPS of where we are in this plan or in waiting for a fulfillment of your word or in recognizing that serving the least of these is serving you. We pray that you would seal your word on our hearts that we may know you and that the world may know you as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. 
the peace of Christ be with you.